Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength. It's a pleasure to see you all on here. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. And we have Brother Hector Troyer joining us this morning to present on peacemaking and conflict, um, about conflict and interpersonal relationships. And he's coming to us from State College, Pennsylvania, where he lives with his wife and six children, I believe. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. All right. So before we get started, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Eternal Father, we come to you this morning. We are so grateful, Lord, that we can call you Father and that you are here with us this morning and your spirit is present. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless our gathering here, our virtual gathering. We thank you for the technology and the blessing it has been to share the truth of the kingdom over the past couple years. I just pray that you would bless Brother Hector as he shares what you've laid on his heart, heart this morning. Um, give him passion and inspiration and clarity of thought as he presents these principles. Um, just be with each one of us. May our hearts be fallow ground for the word of truth, that we can be transformed and cleansed and sanctified by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Brother Hector will share, and then after he is done, we'll open it up for a question and answer period. Um, so think about some questions for him. And, yeah, go ahead. Brother Hector, it's all yours. Okay, thank you. So to begin with, I'm just want to want to uh, maybe introduce myself a little bit more. I am I, I do not like conflict. Um, I really I really dislike conflict. As a, I've always my, my conflict mode my conflict mode has always been to avoid conflict. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to fight that well. I love to argue. Um, but what really matters, I don't, I prefer not to. But I have, as Bryant mentioned to some of you earlier, I have had this long, uh, for quite a while, I've, I really wanted to start a church in Hawaii and I've been very interested in, in small churches, and starting new churches. But one thing that I've noticed in that is that they very often are derailed by conflict. It's conflict is the way that most of them are just, it seems like over and over these small projects get derailed by conflict. And also in my own life, I have all, I have seems like I'm always surrounded by somebody that wants to, there's always conflict. Um, whether it is, you know, in my family or in people that are close to me, it seems like, and now that I have children that are getting older and, and they uh, got their love of arguing for me and it seems like we continue to, there's always seems like there's conflict in my life that I cannot get away from. And I started thinking that, you know, I maybe I need to figure this conflict thing out. So I don't come from a point of, um, I'm not like an expert on conflict or anything. I come from a uh, pretty, pretty non-conflict background. But 
and it, I believe the title of this was Peacemaking Through Conflict. And I chose that because I wanted to be able to, to, to express that, that we don't, we, we don't, um, reduce the conflict in our lives by, by moving away from it. We can reduce that by moving towards it. So we actually do need to figure out how to, a good way to do conflict. I've listened to lots and lots of podcasts, binged on um, videos and podcasts and books to try to figure out how, how can I do conflict better? And so I'm, what I'm going to tell you is not from my own expertise, except that I have, done a little bit of research to try to figure out why and how conflict can work better. And neither do I come from a point of perfection because I still don't like conflict. But in Matthew 5, 9, we have that familiar verse, that blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And peace does not come from avoiding conflict. Peace comes from avoiding destructive reactions. So it's not the conflict, it's the reactions that, that get us. And we have to retrain ourselves to, to react constructively instead of destructively. And conflict is misalignment. It's We're not aligned with the other party, and then it gives, and the feedback is conflict. So if we're misaligned, we have feedback, and it gives information. Something is misaligned and there's mis- then there's information there for you. Uh, Glenn, can you give us that first picture, please? So here's an overview of our farm garden here. And if you notice, at least I'm zoomed out, you don't see very many weeds. Um, Glenn, can you kick us the next one? But if you zoom in pretty close there, you can see there's some some really, really small weeds growing. And we're not, if you want to have a, have a conflict-free, which we're going to call these weeds conflict, if you don't want to have conflict, if you can imagine going out and trying to pull the weeds when they're four or five feet high, um, it's very, very difficult to, to approach that. But if you can get the weeds at this stage, and next, please, Glenn. We have some special tools that we can use, and, and we can get weeds at this stage, and we can have um, – the big plants in there, by the way, are not weeds. Those are crop. But there's tiny weeds in there that, that you can't – like the ones in the former slide there that are really small. And if we're if you want to get conflict, if you approach conflict – intentionally you can get it while it's small instead of waiting till it's four feet high and and you know 95 degrees and you're trying to trying to pull weeds you can imagine how difficult that the difference in difficulty is is exponential so i'm done with that glenn so conflict is misalignment which it's it's this Feedback is giving us information. When we saw when we see the small conflict weeds pick pop up, we need to to 
begin to engage immediately instead of waiting and to see what happens um, to to keep to keep aligned and we need to approach the other party with the idea of collaboration um, if we if we go with the now, this, the weed analogy no longer works here because we don't want to go destroy the other party. We just want to get rid of the conflict. We want to, we want to align. So most of us don't lack an interest in collaboration. If you talk to everybody anywhere, everybody says they want to collaborate. But what we don't realize is uh, most of us don't have this desire not to collaborate. Most of us have a desire to collaborate. But what we lack is skills. So my challenge is to hone our skills to become a peacemaker. And it starts with you. You don't have to be a leader or in a leadership position to be a peacemaker. Generally, we don't even need to know who's at fault or who's to blame to be a peacemaker. We can, we can resolve a conflict without knowing who's at fault. Because many times it's not a single person or a party that's at fault. And we also need to move beyond conflict beyond sandwiches and other manipulative techniques. We have these, a lot of techniques that have come up in the, especially in the sales world to try to uh, influence the other other party to agree with us. And the conflict resolution is not necessarily to get other people to agree with us. It's more about getting other aligning with other people and maybe we need to change our minds. Maybe we need to uh, think about how we're going to. We need to think about their position. Maybe they have a valid position, too. So our our goal should never be in a conflict, should never be to manipulate the other party. It should always be to. To collaborate. And so, uh, Glenn, next slide, please. So I hate conflict. Um, I'm usually more of a kind of a person that is going to be quiet if I'm if I feel like there's a lot of conflict. And I am going to avoid that. But the question is, how can I how can I serve the people that I care about and the churches that I care about? How can how can we what can I do? to reduce the amount of conflict in this? How can I become a, ne- a better negotiator for the common good? Now, this is the picture of uh, some chickens. And there's a researcher by the name of Jim Tam, and he's also written a book. And they took two groups of chickens and put them in and divided them up. And they were, they were trying to – the goal was to, to see – why chickens, some chickens laid more eggs than others. And so they, they made this experiment where they had a bunch of chickens that laid. Every time the chickens were laying all the eggs, they would separate them out. But what they discovered was that these high production chickens were also laying more eggs by suppressing egg production in other chickens so they took a year to divide these chickens out and the high the high production chickens 
were very, very, very uh, adversarial. They would um, suppress the other chickens. Now, this is a picture of the of the chickens that, at the end of the year, this is the, the picture of the one group of chickens that, as they separated out the high-laying chickens, the ones that laid less eggs actually started laying eggs. And by the end of the year, when they separated these out, they ended up outlaying the high-production chickens by 260%. Because instead of trying to suppress each other, they just laid eggs like chickens are supposed to. Um, the red zone chickens, well, these are these are called the green zone chickens. He called these the green zone chickens. So this is a picture of the green zone chickens. Can you go to the next slide, Glenn? And the green zone chickens produced more eggs. A lot more eggs. Um can we go to the next slide, Glenn? There we go. Now, these are the red zone chickens. And at the end of the year, half of them were dead. And they laid a lot less eggs than the green zone chickens. They were highly competitive. They were always trying to suppress each other. But when they got all these um, chickens that were suppressing each other in the same pen, they uh, no longer had an advantage. And so they ended up killing each other and laying a lot less eggs. So can you give us the next slide, Glenn? So the only thing that a red zone environment, which sees red zone chickens here, the only thing that this environment of high competition, suppressing others to get to improve ourselves really gains is more of the same. So you have it just produces more of the same. So the red zone chickens were adversarial, highly conflicted, internally competitive, and it spreads like a virus. And this is exactly what happens to humans. It spreads really fast and, and becomes this, this thing where you have this mad circle where you can't get away from it. The green zone chickens instead were supportive, cooperative, and highly skilled at collaboration because they weren't trying to outcompete each other. They weren't suppressing each other. They were just laying eggs. And they outlaid the red zone chickens by 260%. Okay, Glenn, I'm done with those slides. Thank you. Now, the pink zone is in between the red and the green zone, and there's not chickens. There's not a picture of chickens for that. And this is a kind of a more um, something that, that a lot of us has, have moved toward as it becomes more apparent, the red zone. You know, you don't want to just be out and out fighting. And I think this is where a lot of us in our circles, where a lot of us lie in the pink zone. So we protect, avoid, defend, preserve, evade, hide. And then we avoid conflict and uncomfortable feelings. We say, no, everything's great. Um, nothing's going on. And that's kind of where we end up landing in that, in that zone. That is actually just as destructive as the red zone. It's just not as obvious. So I'm going to go through some common destructive reactions to conflict. And there are active and passive reactions to conflict. The active reactions are winning at all costs, blind anger and rage, demeaning others, retaliating, avoiding, accommodating, no, hang on, retaliating, 
the passive are avoiding, accommodating, hiding important emotions, and self-criticizing. So these are all conflict, destructive reactions to conflict. Constructive reactions to conflict and the active mode are perspective taking, creating solutions, expressing emotions, and reaching out. So perspective taking, creating solutions, expressing emotions, and reaching out. Or passive constructive reactions like reflective thinking, delayed responding, not necessarily avoiding, but just waiting to not lashing out right away and adapting so we can adapt to some of these. So bad conflict styles. The most common bad conflict style is avoiding. And avoiding is ideal in some, and just sometimes avoiding is ideal. So when issues are trivial, when there's a 0% chance of a mutual satisfactory resolution, or if someone needs time to process the conflict before confronting it, avoiding is okay. But it tends to be lose-lose. When, when we avoid conflict, everybody loses. Nobody wins. Nobody, nobody gets what they need. There's also the dominating conflict style. And it is necessary when there's a clear and understood power dynamic. If it's unbalanced, like between the boss and employee or the parent, child, or the teacher and student in a, in a relationship like this, you're, you're not really in a conflict resolution. You just, it's more about doing what the superior says. But if you use this dominating, um, conflict style in a peer to peer relationship, it becomes a win at, win at all costs, burn down the house to kill the spiders kind of a kind of conflict style. And we know how that goes. So accommodating is another bad conflict style. But it can be honorable when the issue is significantly more important to the opposing party. Or someone is in the wrong. What if, you know, if you realize you're in the wrong, then sure, accommodation is good. So it's a lose-win. If, if you accommodate someone because they, when you're in a conflict style with them, and when you're in a conflict with them, then you just give them the win. Now, consistent, some people do that consistently and they cons- consistently refuse to, to fight for their goals or desires. And this can be a very, very unhealthy, damaging conflict style. Because what happens is most people don't do that indefinitely. Eventually, they blow up. So compromising conflict style, everyone loses and wins a little bit, but at least we're all upset together. Now, better conflict styles, the best conflict style is actually collaborating. So what happened and why did it happen? We can use conflict as an opportunity to make relationships better. So what really matters to each party? And is there a solution that works for everybody? And if we come at it with this angle, thinking about collaborating, thinking about working together, 
we can build trust so that each party can feel safe being vulnerable. So we don't have to, um, if we're truly looking for a solution that really matters to each party and that really works for everybody, we can be more vulnerable and actually look for ways to work together. But most of us don't lack an interest in collaboration. What we lack is skills. And skills are hard to develop. But the number one skill to make us, to help us be more collaborative is to manage our own defensiveness. So most of us are quickly triggered and become defensive when Somebody stomps on our emotions. We have this something going on and we think it's good. And somebody comes along and talks about it and, you know, gets in our way. And, and then we have, we have, uh, we just get triggered. We get angry or we just um, maybe go into one of these unhealthy conflict modes naturally. So managing our own defensiveness is our number one is a number one um, way to build, to be able to build collaboration. So I'm going to do a little bit, a little um, experiment with you here. And I'll see how it works on our technology. I have this nice green piece of paper here. And it's, it's kind of, I, I ripped it out of the, out of the, off the roll here, but it's, it's nice, smooth green paste, paper. And it's, um, stand back over so you can see this thing better. And I know most of you are probably consider yourselves to be fine conservative Christian people, but if you'll think about this piece of paper a little bit and how nice and, uh, Kind of greenish it is and, and kind of take a deep breath and think about, um, maybe in your mind, if you can think about how, how this is, this is probably feels kind of smooth to the touch and it's would be a nice thing to write on. Maybe you could, you could, you could write a nice note, hang this on the wall, do something with it creative. Um, so I want you to just take a deep breath and, and just kind of maybe lean into it, meditate a little bit and think about how this try to become one with this piece of paper. Like just, just meditate yourself into this piece of paper. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds here to just meditate yourself into this piece of paper. Um, kind of you know, look at it and, and just feel like Think of all the good things. Think of everything positive you can think about this piece of paper. I don't know what comes to your mind, but just in your mind. Go ahead. So how did you feel about me messing up your piece of paper? (laughs) And that's that's the way we often where conflict often comes to us as as something that we care about, we love, and somebody else comes along and just just smashes it. And, and we think, wow, you know, 
what did we do to deserve this? Um, hopefully you can forgive me pretty quickly for messing up your piece of paper, but um, it is this, it is this, this thing of, of empathy, something that we cared about, something that we really deeply mattered to us. Um, and someone comes along and, and it feels like they're attacking us. The first thing we need to do is just calm down, take a deep breath because when we, when we get triggered, when we begin to feel vulnerable and we get defensive, our IQ lowers by 20%. So you get a lot less smart just in that, in that instant of when you, when you decide that, um, or when you get triggered, when, th- when things go bad for you and you're in a conflict. And as soon as you get defensive, your IQ drops at 20%. So that leaves us really, really in a bad place to try to figure out um, how to negotiate the conflict in a, in a good way, in a healthy way. So we begin to have fears about our significance, our competence, our likableness, and we blame others and feel misunderstood. So we really need to not to, to get away from our own defensiveness. And if you're using fault or blame to decide how to solve a problem, then you're making it a you versus them problem. So generally, we do not need to know who's at fault or to blame. Just resolve a conflict. So we want to stay away from defensive, defensive things in our own heads. We don't want to try to figure out, well, is it their fault? Is it my fault? Whose fault is it? And we naturally go through those um, through those things that decide who's at fault and who's not. But the the more we can minimize the fault finding, the better we can we can enter into a collaborative mode. And if we blame someone, then we trigger them. They begin to feel attacked, and you are begging for a negative reaction or for stonewalling. So the very strength of the relationship is, is in having another point of view. So we're not trying to get away from another person's point of view. We need that other point of view. So sameness is not oneness. So in a, in a relationship, just because everybody's the same doesn't mean that we are, we are one. That would never work in a marriage. We see people trying it, but it doesn't work. Uniformity is not unity. So unity or oneness is complementariness and not sameness. Nature teaches us that that it takes two very different people working together to create offspring. And we can apply that to churches too. We do not need everyone to be the same. And sameness is uncreative and boring. Stephen Covey says the essence of synergy is to value the differences. So the essence of synergy is to value the differences. So if two people have the same opinion, then one is unnecessary. And several years back at the church planters forum, this term was being thrown around called homo spiritual, which is, um, I think it might've been invented on the spot, but it means, you know, everybody being the same in their spiritual views and 
it can get, it feels good at the moment, but it can be unhealthy. So we don't need two fathers or two mothers. What we need is diversity. So in, if we value diversity, then we can, we're in the, in a position to collaborate with the other party. And we need to have collaboration. So when we approach, when we approach a conflict in the collaborative mode, then we just need to know what happened. Why did that happen without blaming anyone? And then we can use conflict as an opportunity to make relationships better. We need to know what really matters to each party. Is there a solution that works for everybody? And then work on building trust so that each party can feel safe being vulnerable. And there's one quote I came across. Often there's people in this, in this space when we when we get into conflict, there's often someone that is just um, triggered and determined to derail um, any uh, any attempts at, at uh, collaborating. And the fastest way to lose your best people is to not deal with your worst people. So if you really want to to lose your best people, then don't deal with your worst people. And we have Paul versus Peter in uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 21. I'm not going to read that, but Paul there went to Peter and said, hey, you cannot do this. You can't be, um, you can't be kicking out the Gentiles because, or not eating with the Gentiles because of your, um, you know better than that. And he basically spends the rest of Galatians talking about this, about how you should not, um, be taking this, taking the side of, of the Jews. And he did, Paul didn't go there and just, um, say, hey, Peter, you shouldn't do that. He went there and, and really kind of uh, more or less set him straight. But it seems like Peter listened and, and, and straightened up and, and behaved. So we see this, you know, Paul taking this conflict directly. He didn't, he didn't beat around the bush, and it, and it appears like it worked. So the fastest way to deal with, to lose your best people is not to deal with your worst people. So if there's someone that is, is out of, out of sync, then sometimes this, the path to peace is to go straight for the conflict, to go straight to the, basically straight to the throat. And there again, not in attack mode, but in, in, you know, decide what, what really matters to each party, what really needs to be done and see if there's a solution. And sometimes it's not the way it seems. Sometimes you go to have a conflict and you go and, and you, you think is something wrong and discover this something totally different. So conflict is a misalignment. It's just some little weeds popping up. It gives you information. You realize something's wrong and something is misaligned. Something's not aligned there. And, and there's information there that is coming to your radar and then you can deal with that. So again, your number one way to manage conflict 
is by managing your own defensiveness. If you can approach anything, um, any kind of conflict without being defensive, you can usually find a way to work with the other party. And most of us do not lack an interest in collaboration. What we need, what we really lack is skills. So hone your skills, become a peacemaker. It starts with you, and you don't need to be in a leadership position to be to be, be a peacemaker. Thank you. Well, thank you, brother. Um, you did a really good job of basically kiboshing my perspective of conflict resolution. Um, I see through this that I have some unhealthy views of, of conflict and how to resolve them. Um, so thank you for doing that. We are going to open it up for questions. Um, one question I had was accommodating. I was a little surprised that that was in the, the pink zone or the passive. Um, can you talk a little bit more of that? I know you did touch on that, but how is, I guess, I don't know. I guess I'll just put it out there. I thought accommodating would be a, I get, uh, is it a band-aid solution or, or what is, uh, what are your perspectives there? So accommodating is only, is only a good solution if we are in the wrong or if the issue is, is significantly more important to the opposing party. So if I'll, I'll try to unpack that a little bit from what I can remember, not, not, I know accommodating is what we do is, is we say, well, we don't want to, we don't want to conflict with the person. So let's accommodate. And when we accommodate, we just internalize the conflict. We move it away from, we move it off the table into our own hearts. And then as, as that person does something again down the road, and then we're expected to accommodate again, um, because we did last time. And sometimes the second conflict is related to the first conflict. But if, if you start that snowball of accommodation, it can become this internal conflict in a person that can lead to very, very unhealthy emotional, mental state because we just always accommodate. It, it's accommodating is actually very common in, in wives. Um, because, you know, men are usually more dominant. And, and so rather than having, rather than expressing what she wants, she's going to be more likely to just say, yeah, whatever. Um, and that can be, that can be dangerous long term mm-hmm. because it can come up. Very, very small things can become, um, a problem and, and not just, and often the dominating partner, let's say if we use a husband and a wife, often the husband may have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, because, because with the accommodation, you don't actually lay out, you avoid the conflict, but the small conflict that may have happened by not saying what the way you actually felt. And then that, that's, that can snowball and become a, especially in a long-term relationship, that can become uh, dangerous. Now, if there's somebody on the street that pulls a gun on me and says they want my wallet, I'm going to have to, I'm going to accommodate. Like it's, that's no problem because that's not a long-term relationship. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. So there, are, there would be a time for accommodating, but it would take a, um, an awareness of ourselves and realizing that, oh no, I'm wrong. I need to, I need to back down here. And if we realize we're wrong, then we can resolve the conflict by, by accommodating. But I think it's, it's been my experience anyway that, um, I can relate to that. You know, if you're accommodating too long, then eventually that's going to come out anyway. And the other person is going to actually feel blindsided because you're going to start pulling out all this stuff from, from way back. And they're like, I thought we got past that, you know, when that was a conflict. But if we're over accommodating, then that can be bottled up in there. Yeah. That's good. All right. Anyone else have some questions or comments about this? I know we all face conflict. So may I say, ask something? Actually, just make a statement. Yeah. I've been dealing with, I'm like a steamroller in a lot of ways. And I'm learning that the damage that I did to relationships in my church and just people around. And lately I've been convicted by something called implied ownership. If I do something uh, a certain way all the time, then I have implied ownership. And because somebody is a conflict, reducing person they let me do it and Hector just talked about it at some point you just start retaliating but that implied ownership that I took created a mess am I making sense to you Hector I'm not quite following you keep going okay implied ownership is when you let me do something and you don't confront me in the beginning and I just keep doing it the same way over and over I've been going through I'm watching other people do it to me, and then I'm I'm also looking at myself going, boy, I've been doing this, and I've created this mechanism where people just leave me alone, and it's not healthy on both sides, and I'm learning. I sent you a text. I, I want to continue conversation with you because I'm trying to learn to not be a somebody that pushes your boundaries and asks you. I'm learning to, um, I know I'm struggling here. I'm learning how to resolve that conflict prior to it's happening in my life. Cause I'm tired of doing this to people. It's, um, strong arming people into things. Yeah. Right. That, so what happens is you're probably a, I don't know what they call it, a type A where, where you're, you're dominant, dominant enough that, um, people are going to, going to, quickly or easily just go to the accommodating because hey yeah patrick's got it um like there's no point in we don't want to go to that level of conflict like like you're willing to go to a deeper level of war than they are so yeah let's not do that um but i mean that can right um and i'm not sure how to approach that from your point of view because you being the more dominant person um, leaves you with, with some maybe much less willing to speak up people, um, making it more difficult for them to speak up. And, and there again, I don't think the fault entirely lies on the dominant person for sure, because some of us are more dominant than others, but we need to learn how to make that work with everyone. And it's, it's tricky. I'm learning how to be less, 
cause less conflict by being quiet and learning to listen. I'm looking to do what you're doing and I'm struggling from a different perspective. So that you did a really good job on this. And I really enjoyed what you said. Now I'm going to shut up and not be the dominant person on this. <laughs> Patrick, do you end up in sort of a, a lone island position with that where you kind of, you're dominant and then you end up driving people away, but then you end up resenting it? Yeah, you, you, you gave you a thumbs up there, uh, okay. Jacob. Yeah. I, 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 my wife's family is very struggles with that. They have this domineering thing, but then they push people away, but then they, you know, if it's like a project, they can be overly dominant, push people away, but then be resentful that they don't have people participating. And there, there's a fine balance in trying to maintain that. It's a a cycle you get in, you just don't realize what's happening. And it's a vicious cycle. And I sit back and watch it happen over and over again, wondering when they're going to learn. I have a question, but Kent Kent has his hand up, so I'll let him go first. (laughs) Thanks, Philip. Hey, um, Kent here, first time. Hector, thanks for this. This has been really good, helpful. I had a question for... And I don't know maybe if others are experienced this at all either, but in certain circles, it seems like folks are very averse to even engage in conflict. They look at conflict in and of itself as, as bad, as non, as unchristian even, that we shouldn't have conflict. Um, long time ago, somebody told me, you know, Proverbs 2717 is iron sharpens iron, you know, so one man sharpeneth another and iron can't sharpen iron without striking each other. Right. So what are ways that we can engage then others who don't want to be engaged in conflict? Right. If conflict is good and conflict is health and conflict can be healthy, how can we engage others more that almost try to refuse to be in conflict? So you're you're probably describing the. um, The Anabaptist people pretty well, because that's been our mode um, is is to not not be in conflict. I mean, that. Um, although there is a ton of conflict that goes on underground that you don't see. And at least not from, not right away. And we, we kind of call it the passive aggressive side. Yeah. Yeah. Pink zone, definitely. Um, and that's one thing that I've learned in my last six years of church experience is that I'm, I failed to mention that, but I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that are, are very good at conflict, much better at conflict than I am. And so I come from a, I come from a background where, yeah, more of a, a kind of accommodating background, avoiding more, you know, you just do whatever. Um, as, as long as you don't rock the boat, you're good. And that's not necessarily healthy. There's, there's definitely a place for conflict. Now I would say, tone it down like a lot of times when we go for conflict we we bottle this up until we're so mad that by the time we get there that we have our guns loaded and we're we know who's at fault we know who's to blame and we're just going to go um in there and burn down the house yeah guilty as charged (laughs) but it, it works way better if we can build a bridge somewhere 
get that conflict um, and maybe start nibbling off pieces of it. Um, being surrounded by people that that do conflict way better than I. I first thought they were just always fighting, but then I eventually realized that no, they're actually they're actually coming to agreeable conclusions and that are better than that are synergistic, that are better than either one of us could have came up on our own. So in a lot of small issues, and I think small issues is a great place to start. Um, you know, just I wouldn't go for the I wouldn't go for the biggest issue biggest issue first by any means. Uh, do you have a comment on the uh, split between uh, Saul and Barnabas? That's always puzzled me, and uh, there doesn't seem to be in Scripture any particular declaration of which party was correct, uh, but it's kind of a heartbreak to see these two who started out uh uh, really uh, ordained by uh, uh, a committee of five, I'll call it, in Antioch, uh, and proceeded to turn the world upside down, and then they could work together. So I'm not really... Um, yeah, I would say that that I feel like they... They parted ways and they weren't very happy at the moment. Yeah, they probably did conflict wrong. They were human just like the rest of us. But it does seem like that at some point in the future, they were at least blessing each other. And I think when we, if we get to the point where we can't actually work in the same shop, we can at least um, bless each other as we, as we part our ways. And yeah, other than that, I don't really have a comment, uh, uh, comment on that. So my question has to do with the scripture verse, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou, thou art in the way, lest at any time he deliver thee to the officer and the officer deliver thee to the judge and the judge cast thee into prison. Sorry, that's my King James English. I don't know it. <laughs> any other version. Um, so does this principle apply to adversaries and not in the church? Is that describing... Um, an appeasement policy or is there more collaboration happening in that implied in that? I'm just, just curious how your, what your thoughts are about that verse in relation to what you're sharing. And thanks for what you shared, by the way, I really enjoyed it. So I don't know, maybe we should do a drywall job together and see if we can figure that out. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say that, that is is talking about the times when you are in a back alley and somebody pulls a gun on you. Well, yes, I agree with that adversary quickly. And that happens in churches too. I mean, figuratively, figuratively, but if you are in a position where you realize that there is, this is not in any way, there's no way for you to gain anything from, from arguing with this individual, then sure. Agree with them or, or at least, um, Accommodate, accommodate, not necessarily agree. I think there's a provision for that in the, like in the, uh, I want to say in the court system where you can kind of step out of a conflict and go regroup. And I'm not saying that we need to go regroup as in go load our guns, but it might, 
there's times that that agreeing with your adversary quickly is probably the probably the best bet. Um, I I still that's still my go to. I need I'm working on that, but that's still my go to. I I'm more quick to just say okay, you know whatever you say. But then it gives me time to think about it. I may come back later and and work against you in the pink zone, but. Um, <laughs> that's not my goal. My goal is to try to be, try to be able to be more transparent and be more, um, willing to say, no, that doesn't work. Thank you. I think that's a good answer. I think our reason for conflict, um, makes a difference as well. Um, it's not that I'm trying to prove my point, but, but just to realize that we can have a good discussion and we disagree. Um, but try to understand each other. And that's just where it's easiest just to shut up and not say anything. And really we should, we should be discussing these things and, and learning. And I, the comment that Patrick had made there, I could see myself in that somewhat. It's, it's really easy when you're the, when you're the dad or, so I'm the dad, I'm the boss, I'm the pastor. Uh, and you have your ways of doing things that um, people just, they just take it because you're the, you're the boss. Um, the work, that's what I am, I'm the boss. And to present your spirit in such a way that you're willing to hear that they're able to bring their conflict to you and, and to, to discuss those things. Um, that's... That's one of my goals, I guess, that I try to work on. Yeah, that's what, that's what Patrick maybe was, was talking about is is trying to be able to be, to be approachable. Like, um, he, I don't know, he's not, I don't see him right now, but he's maybe he's, um, willing to, willing to engage. Um, I view him more as almost welcoming conflict. I don't know you well. Very well, Patrick, but <laughs> things like if, if I was in a fight, you're the guy I'd want on my side. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard that a lot. <laughs> but somehow we need to, yeah, you're right, need to kind of tone our image down a little bit to where we can, where people feel like they can approach us. One of the drawbacks of having a strong personality is people will. People in my church and my community will drop down before they even get involved in something because they feel like it's going to be too much. That's not a good position. I push more people away, and my goal is to become more like you. And I don't know how to do it because I came from an environment which was different than you did. Conflict is normal in my life. It's how you resolve it that's uncommon. So... Patrick, I guess I got a question that, that I'm curious about. Can you, like, do you, um, like when you're in conflict, does it feel like, does that feel bad to you? If I want to put it, like, do you feel, uh, is it something that you enjoy or not? No, I, I did enjoy it. It was an adrenaline rush, but there's this heuristic going on inside my head where I'm like, and I always find a way to just suppress it and go, how do I honor the person next to me? 
but there's this circus going on that nobody sees that is completely unnatural to me. But what I find is if I want to take the way of Christ, it's to respond in the way of Christ, which is, (laughs) that's not what I'm used to. And I don't know how to do it. That makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I just wondered, like, coming from a completely different personality where my personality was, is, is an immediate, um, immediately accommodating or avoiding. And your, and your personality is, is an immediate more of a conflict or has been. Um, that's your, that's your natural personality. We'll put it that way. Um, you're more of a Paul and I'm more of a, um, Barnabas. Barnabas, they didn't even they didn't even put me in the Bible because I don't I, mean, I don't know who's that who has that personality in there, but yes, that's right. Like getting that conflict is but, difficult to manage. Like I, I don't people I, I I think people don't realize like in my own like when I'm accommodating, I may appear on the surface to be just fine and dandy with that, but there's a lot of inner inner turmoil that goes with with accommodation too. Yes, yes. Because that's, I think, the circus that I'm describing in some way inside of me. Because I struggle to be more, I struggle with the being more Christ-like because you can be strong and, and push your way through and strong-arm people into things, but you lose. Yeah. I want to find a way, like my neighbor came up to me and he wanted to beat me up. And I told him he could. And I found strength in that because three years later, two years later, he's eating breakfast with us. And so I had a win in that arena, excuse the expression, and now I'm encouraged by it. But there's other people that want to talk. Yeah, thank you, Hector, for for sharing. So just had a question for you. It seems a lot of times people um, that are very accommodating, try to um, respond with something like, well, let's just agree to to disagree. And uh, well, I want to engage. I don't want to just agree to disagree. Uh, how do you respond to that when people say, let's just agree to disagree? Wow, that's, that's tricky. tricky. That's a trick question. <laughs> so I... It depends on how, on how important the, um, how, how important the conflict is. So there are things that we need to agree to disagree about, but then there are things that we shouldn't agree to disagree about. And it really ends up being which one matters the most to you. Like what, like in your own self, in your own church, if you feel like something is, is damaging enough that it needs to that it needs to be addressed, then you can't agree to disagree. Um, sometimes you can wait to discuss. I've, I've participated in some delayed discussions and, um, I think it's worked in ways, but I don't think there's a perfect answer to that. I mean, it's a good question. It's a, it's a very good question. Like when should we, when should we agree to disagree? I think there are times when we should. But it's definitely not always, and probably not usually. 
Yeah, okay, thank you. Hey, I have another comment there, Brother Hector. Um, can you share with us some helpful tips about negotiating in a conflict? Wow. Be less defensive. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the only one that really pops to the top of my head right now. Like if the quickest way to derail a negotiation is to come across as being, um, as being, I'm going to win this versus can we work together? Um, and yeah, there are ways like, Jim Tam, his book is definitely worth reading. I'm trying to remember the title of it. Um, is it Radical Collaboration? Yeah, I think, yeah, I believe that's, I believe that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely worth reading. And he talks about building bridges there. I believe like, I think he's saying like a team of, uh, get a team of hostile or, or if there's conflict in a organization, but sometimes you get them together in a room and with a bunch of Legos and build Legos on a table and just, and build something together. And just that action of building something together it, that nobody cares a ton about is often makes the meetings go better. So just, a completely aside, like maybe that's where working together in a, um, you know, working together on a project or something can, can actually build more of a rapport with someone that it's, it's easy to hate somebody that you don't know. But as you know someone better, there's more opportunity for conflict, but there's also more opportunity for collaboration. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I guess I've experienced the 20% IQ drop a time or two in my life. Me too. Yeah. That's good. And that idea that you, you, it's hard to hate somebody you know, I think that go, that's a good, um, thing to take into church relationships is make sure you know your brothers well and have a close relationship with them because it'll definitely set you up for, um, some better conflict resolution. Can I add something more? Go ahead. I found that I wasn't being confronted by the church that I was going with in some aspects. They, they got me to a certain point spiritually, but with this conflict thing that I've been involved in my whole life, I felt the need to open a halfway house and invite convicts into my life. Jacob just sent me something. I, I, uh, he sent me a, a thing that I'm thinking about. I created this mechanism where I have con convicts confronting me in this life. And what I'm trying to show them is the way of conflict is not to dominate, but to do it in a Christ-like manner. So I'm in this split right brain left brain thing i come from an environment which grabs people by the throat but i'm trying because of the group of people that i pray with 
they will rather hug you. And so I've created this system or I'm helping create a system where these men will challenge me and teach me to honor them in the moment, not to dishonor them with conflict. And, and it, there's a lot more to it. And uh, I'll shut up. Yeah. Makes sense. I think the thing that makes conflict bearable or good or workable is when we have commitment. Um, and, and if I'm scared that if I say this, I'm going to chase you off, then I'm going to just shut up because I want you to stay here. But if I know that we're in this together, we're in this church together, we're not leaving, then I can say what I've what I feel I need to say, and you can do it in a loving way, but I know I'm not going to chase you off or you're not going to chase me off. Um, and I think commitment is a, is a big part of what makes conflict workable. Yeah, that's right. We did have a question come in on the chat here. Um, what do you do in extremely difficult situations between spouses when there are doctrinal differences and the heretical side doesn't want to give in? That's a big one. Can we get more details? <laughs> well, I, I think that comes back to managing our own defensiveness. It's um, I, the, the statement is is. I don't know how true it is. Like coming in on the chat, I have no idea. So don't know the person. Um, but just by calling the other side heretical, we are immediately burning bridges. That's a bridge burning question. So I understand the, the what I think the, the, the desire to be clear. I mean, otherwise, how are you going to know? But yeah, it's if, if we get. We'll be careful how I say this. Um, when we're dealing with someone that we feel like their view is heretical, it's still usually not in our best interest to call it to call it heretical. Um, it's still usually in our best interest to say um, we don't agree with their point of view, and maybe there's maybe there's a reason um, to uh, maybe their view is not as heretical as we thought it was. I I called someone a heretic one time and. Um, he was kind enough to continue to uh, work on explaining his position to me, and and I am no longer I no longer view it as heresy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I was mostly joking when I called him a heretic, but um, I did kind of feel like it was probably heretical. So some of those things that like that. It, the question sounds like it comes from a very defensive position. Um, so I'm not sure how to, how to say, I, th- I think which it comes back to, man, you know, manage your own defensiveness, like just be less defensive, be less fault, less fault finding. Um, if it's a marriage relationship, I would say back way off, cool down, um, entrench. I mean, like I say entrench, like, Build up your own relationship with God. And I don't mean in a, in a better than you kind of attitude. I mean, more of a, you know, 
humble yourself before God. And uh, I, I think, especially in a marriage relationship, it can take a lot of time, maybe a third party to actually be able to, maybe a couple third parties to actually be able to heal that. So I'm not a marriage counseling expert. I got plenty of my own um, places where I could use some counseling. So I'm not coming at this from a point of, of being um, the expert on that. I would just say we really have to, to tread lightly. We don't want to burn down the house to kill the spiders. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Um, thank you for taking on this task. Uh, this is a, a big subject and it comes very close to home. A lot of us. I mean, if it's your home life, your work life, your church life, uh, conflict is there. And thank you for speaking into that and giving us some tools and ways to approach these conflicts in a very healthy way or a healthier way than we have been. Really appreciate the, how you brought up. Conflict is in our hands. We can't get away from it, but it is, don't look at it as such a bad way, but a way to build relationships and learn how to um, work together in facing it. I really appreciate that. Um, is there anyone else that has a comment or question for other Hector before we close here? Hector, when you um, when you compromise, does it sort of feel like there's an IOU that accompanies that? That's what I call implied ownership. Yep, yep, that's it right there. Yeah, you do. You accumulate. You're hopefully accumulating goodwill IOUs, and then um, they're really hard to cash in. That's one thing I struggle with when, because it feels like people aren't being upfront when they accommodate, but then there's this hidden IOU. Uh, it, it creates this backlog of IOUs. My family's pretty good with it. I've seen my spouse's family that they have, everyone's got their little banks of IOUs and whenever conflict blows up, it becomes everyone pulls out their bank accounts and starts rehashing all this stuff. And for me, I'm just getting too old. I can't even remember all this stuff. They remember all these details and it has to be such a burden on them. Yeah, there is definitely some, some of us that have, um, yeah, longstanding conflicts. What do you think about it biblically? I tend to look at it from the Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you compromise without condition, you're compromising. You're not, it's not a compromise plus an IOU. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not quite, um, I think Jesus would have us. I think we have to be very careful with with 
I mean, obviously conflict is a very, it's a very tricky subject. Okay. So whenever you're some of us that are, that are more conflict, um, oriented or more straightforward, if you want to put it that way, not even, even some cultures like the American culture, especially is more straightforward. Um, are not as willing to just go out and, and say yes or no. I've, I've heard of people that have, um, actually trying to remember the story about a, a man that had a conflict with someone. It was a missionary. I believe he went in and he asked somebody about doing something. They said they would do it and they didn't do it. And then he asked him again. They said they would do it and they didn't do it. And he finally accused them of lying. And they said, well, no, they weren't really lying. Um, but what it came down to was the culture was to never disagree with foreigners. And uh, so they would just always agree with him, but they were, they were actually, not um not going to do it so he really struggled with getting them to tell him whether they were going to do it or not because they weren't they weren't the culture was not allowed to disagree with the foreigner so we have that same problem in a lot of ways i guess i look at the the biblical perspective of yes and be yes and no be no simplifying that Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's going to be quite that cut and dried. Just uh, one quick question: Is there any books that you would recommend on this? Uh, you mentioned about radical collaboration. Um, is that a book you would recommend? And uh, is there others as well? Yeah, I would definitely recommend that book. Um, I have not been able to really in my I've I've read a few of the books that have good parts in them like um obviously the classic is uh Stephen Covey's book The Habits of Highly Effective People um but it's not directly or you know I think this radical co- radical collaboration is the probably the the only one that I can think of at the moment that I'd recommend. Maybe you have. No, oh, thank you. Is that the same book or, or what book were you referring to where it gave us a um, thing about the chickens? So that was actually, I'm not sure if it's in the book because I think he ran the experiment after he wrote the book. This is a YouTube video actually, okay. but if he's um, Jim Tam, P A M M. But, yeah, he's out there if you if you look. He's done some TED talks. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you. Um, someone put on here how to win friends and influence people by Carnegie is also also helpful um, in this on this topic. Well, thank you all for participating in this discussion. It's, it's been good. Thank you, brother, um, for bringing this topic this morning. Uh, it's been a real blessing. It's been an eye-opener for me, and hopefully I can face conflict uh, with a higher IQ than usual. Um, so I really appreciate it. Um, God bless you for putting the work into this and um, sharing it with us. And God bless all of you for being on here this morning to hear this and I hope it's uh I hope it's useful.
in the days ahead in your work relationships, home relationships, church relationships, whatever relationships you might have. I hope it's useful. We can honor Christ in these relationships by how we resolve our conflicts. Um, just a couple announcements before we go. Uh, next, actually, sorry, on the 24th, we'll meet again, uh, same time, same place. And we're going to hear from Ryan Hoover, and he's going to share three trees and a computer bug lessons in crisis leadership. So that sounds like there's some stories behind that title. Um, you're all welcome to come back here on the 24th and join us to hear from uh, Brother Ryan. Uh, before we close here, um, Hector, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we thank you for this privilege to be able to um, come together and talk about conflict this morning. And I pray as each one of us goes our separate ways that you would help us to be able to build your church and to build our families and to build our relationships with our coworkers. And Lord, I pray that um, we could do better at conflict, especially myself, and that we could do better at at learning how to work together in deep collaboration that we can really truly get together and be one. And like your, like the prayer that you prayed that we could all be one. And father, I just pray for that oneness and acknowledge that, that many of us are, are really lacking in, in oneness and in the ability to, do conflict well, I pray that you would just bless each one as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for coming on. God bless you today. And uh, serve the King. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.